The case of the four University of Idaho students brutally murdered in their off-campus rental property has taken the world by storm. The name on everyone's lips these days, unfortunately, is Brian Koberger, the accused killer who has been thrust into this spotlight. However, there are two crucial pieces of the puzzle that has been kind of overlooked. Two witnesses who could hold the key to solving or help solve this heinous crime. Dylan Mortensen and Bethany Funk could hold the secrets or some of the secrets that the investigators need to crack this case open or help at least. But despite their potential, both appear to have not a whole lot to contribute with Bethany having not seen or heard anything and Dylan now offering conflicting accounts of the night's events, which is very confusing. We've only seen a little bit in this investigation about this and every little detail matters, as I always say. As the judicial process moves forward, it's up to the prosecution to take the, every little piece, extract the truth, and that also means potential witnesses included, of course. So what do the surviving roommates have to offer? What information could Dylan and Bethany have to contribute to finding justice for their friends? And what does it mean with these discrepancies? Well, we're gonna talk about it. So now, let's get into it. It's still unclear why the lives of Bethany Funk and Dylan Mortensen were spared that fateful night of November 13th, 2022. Perhaps because little is still known about a potential target or motive, both girls have since kept low profiles, I don't blame them, and have made their social media platforms private. A move likely for their own protection, their privacy, and possible legal reasons as the possibility remains they could be called as witnesses. I can't imagine the trauma, what they saw or didn't see, but nonetheless, what they are going through and what they will now forever live with. As of late, we've heard some interesting information regarding both roommates. This information, however, answers no more questions and potentially adds more of the mystery of what actually happened. So let's take a look. We'll dive in a bit further and look at the discrepancies. First, Bethany told police she had seen Ethan and Zana that night at the Sigma Chi house from 9 p.m. through 1.45 a.m. And for the longest time during that investigation, it wasn't announced or really known what their timeline was. We were waiting for quite some time to hear this. Kaylee and Maddie were at a local bar and then hit up a food truck before arriving home at 1.56 a.m. Everyone was said to be in the home by the time of the murders. So there's been some discrepancies between the affidavit and the recent news about one of the roommates. In the probable cause affidavit, it states, and let me get my trusty glasses on because I can't see a thing. All right. It says, DM stated she originally went to sleep in her bedroom on the south side of the second floor. DM stated she was awoken at approximately 4 a.m. by what she stated sounded like Gonsalves, which is Kate, who is Kaylee, playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms, which were located on the third floor. A short time later, DM said she heard what she thought was Gonsalves say something to the effect of, there's someone here. A review of records obtained from a forensic download of Kernodal's phone, who's Zana, showed that this could also have been Zana as her cellular phone indicated she was likely awake and using the TikTok app at approximately 4.12 a.m. DM stated she looked out of her bedroom but did not see anything when she heard the comment about someone being in the house. DM stated she opened her door a second time when she heard what she thought was crying coming from Zana's room. And DM then said she heard a male voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. At approximately 4.17 a.m., a security camera located at 111 
1122 King Road, a residence immediately to the northwest of 1122 King Road picked up distorted audio of what sounded like voices or a whimper, followed by a loud thud. A dog can be also heard barking numerous times, starting at 417, and the ca security camera is less than 50 feet from the west wall of Colonel's bedroom. It says DM stated she opened the door for a third time after she heard the crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. DM described the figure as 5'10 or taller, male, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. The male walked past DM as she stood in a frozen shock phase. The male walked towards the back sliding glass door. DM locked herself in her room after seeing the male. DM did not state that she recognized the male. This leads investigators to believe that the murderer left the scene. Then it goes on to say that the murders occurred between 4 and 4.25 a.m. Now about the frozen shock phase or state, there was a doctor who's a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry in New York and she talked about this frozen shock state. She said, when your body is in shock and you think you're going to die or you think you're in a threatening situation, adrenaline surges your sympathetic nervous system and takes off and you may experience a frozen state where consciously you know what's happening, but then a coping mechanism is for you to disassociate. It's possible what happened with her was that she sort of went into a dissociation state and was just kind of confused and shocked and not really understanding what's going on. Now there's a few things with this. I heard a video just this morning and it had to do with someone who claims, we don't know for sure, but claims to know Dylan and saying that she wasn't in a frozen shocked state that according to this guy who says to be friends said that she wasn't in that and that the FBI were putting words into her mouth. So I find this very interesting. Is this true? Is this guy for real? We don't know. And we don't know how anybody would react. We think we know how we would react and it could be completely different. But there is some interesting things this guy was saying because he was saying she locked her door as always, which that was my next question was, does she always lock her door? Um, and why wasn't, like, why didn't Brian pick her? I mean, we're thankful that he didn't, but did he see her and what went on there, right? There's so many questions. And recently what's being said now, uh, News Nation had a source that said, that Dylan thought the noise of the killings were from partiers. It says Dylan allegedly screamed for the others to quiet down. She said she opened her door and screamed, calm down, you're being loud and I'm trying to sleep before locking herself inside the room. And the source also said that Dylan allegedly told them she later opened her door again after hearing more noises and then saw a figure shrouded in darkness. Dylan allegedly said she wasn't anxious because she believed it was a party goer. So the question here is, like I said, does she always lock her door at night? And if not, why this night? Especially if she believed it was a party goer. Was this source reputable? Uh, that said she, you know, she was just thinking it's a partier. And is this the reason why she didn't call 911? So the question does become, why didn't she call 911 and who actually did? Dylan has fallen under harsh criticism for not calling 911 for that large amount of time that passed between the murders, which actually took place between 4 and 4.25 a.m. And when the call was actually placed at 11.58 a.m., almost eight hours later. It's also known that it wasn't Dylan that called 911, only that her cell phone was used to make the call and law enforcement have been also puzzled by this they said they weren't sure if it was an issue of intoxication or fear 
Either way, they said they were confident she's not involved, as well as Bethany. They said, despite the baffling delay, cops on the case are really, really confident about it not being an issue of Dylan being involved. They said, we look at these things through the lens of rational adults. And when we do that, sometimes things don't make sense to us, but she's a 20 year old girl and we don't know what she was doing or if she was scared. Now, an account believed to belong to Ethan's sister-in-law made several posts on Reddit before the arrest affidavit was unsealed. Ethan's sister-in-law has since revealed that Dylan, who was in the property at the time of the killings, as we know, along with Bethany, called all of the roommates after she heard screaming and crying coming from their rooms. In the post on Reddit, Ethan's sister-in-law said, Dee supposedly called all the girls in the house after the crying and screaming stopped and no one answered and she still didn't call the police. She needs to explain herself and her actions that night. Now, when questioned about who did call the police, the sister-in-law added, the 911 caller was the friend who went in because Dee called him to come over because she was scared from what she heard in the night. Now, here's where that's conflicting information. She's scared, but then on the other account, she thought that there was a party going on. So this is some really strange things. I'm not sure if there's just wires crossed. Let me know what you think below. The post continued and said, he went to Zan and Ethan's room first, meaning the friend, then called 911. Why D or B didn't call the police once is the question. Now, Ethan's mother, Stacy, has also urged people to just instead look ahead as you know, Brian makes his way through the court system. Stacy Chapin said that nothing has changed since Cobra's arrest and that mourners should direct their anger elsewhere. There's a woman named Shannon Gray. She's a lawyer for Kaylee Gonsalves' family. And she said she was scared. She was scared to death and rightly so. This guy has just murdered four people in the home. Everybody kind of forgets that. The Gonsalves family doesn't have any ill will towards her or anything like that. Now we know police said early on that it's neither Dylan or Bethany who called 911. It has since been reported that it was actually Ethan's best friend, who's a fraternity brother, who made the call. Now, police confirmed that a 911 call was made from the phone of one of the surviving roommates at 11.58 a.m. who requested help for an unconscious person, though it was not confirmed at the time who spoke to police. Ethan's friend who called 911 also discovered the bodies and that's where he used Dylan's phone. So Ethan's friend discovered these bodies, checked for pulses, it was said, before shouting to for someone to call 911. That's when the 911 call was made at 11.58 a.m. But it was also reported that it wasn't clear what prompted the friend to visit the house. So these are past reports. It was also reported that there were other friends who were called to the home before 911 was called. And some reports are stating that while feeling faint and sick, Dylan Mortensen called 911. A frat brother continued the 911 call for the unconscious Dylan and the hyperventilation of Bethany by picking up Dylan's phone. So we've now heard multiple details and accounts of Dylan's role in all of this. But what about Bethany, right? Where was she in all of this? Well, we know that Bethany was on the first floor and it is said that she hadn't heard anything. And I did do a video in previously talking about how it would be hard to hear through those floors and a former roommate actually backed that up as well. And it was said that she also never went upstairs after the killings. And Bethany therefore did not witness the crime scene as she never went upstairs. Ashley Bamfield said, 
she left the home and was outside in the chaos in the front of the house but never did go to that second floor she never did see the carnage she wasn't part of the discovery of the bodies she was the only one living in the basement at that point so as difficult as it may be to believe bethany may not have heard seen or been known the wiser of this horrific violence that occurred on the floors above kaylee's dad steve said you got to remember these two girls were so upset when they went outside after seeing this, one passed out and the other one was hyperventilating that the message wasn't clear enough for the operator. So where are Bethany and Dylan now? With Bethany, it's unclear where she currently resides. And according to a source, she has not had any communication with family members of the victims. For Dylan, it's been reported that she moved back with her parents in Boise, Idaho, and has only been seen on a brief outing at Starbucks in early January. I've heard a little bit that she was kind of being tracked, which is not so fun. Wherever they may be, I really hope they're receiving the help and care that they need to recover from this, especially being so closely tied to such a terrible crime, being in that house and then plagued also with that survivor's guilt. And that is a very awful place to be. One of the friends said they feel a lot of survivor's guilt. Their friends are gone and they're still here. It's been really rough on them. They're going to be dealing with this for the rest of their lives. The friend also said that the arrest hasn't given them any closure in regards to what happened. They said they've been interviewed by the cops about what they saw and heard, but they don't have all the answers. How can they? They are happy to be alive, but just so sad about it all and wondering if they could have done anything differently it's heartbreaking i mean hindsight is 2020 right both girls have paid a tribute to their lost friends by getting matching memorial tattoos and also having a letter read at their memorial service the tattoos they got is inscribed with lettering mkxe which symbolizes initial for each of the roommates and also it has an angel wing on each side Maddie, Kaylee, Zana, and Ethan, love you always and forever. It's also believed that Bethany also got the tattoo. Now, there was a letter read at the memorial, and a pastor read this from Dylan and Bethany. And it said, Maddie, Zana, Kaylee, and Ethan were all one of a kind. Dylan said, the four changed the way I looked at life. My life was greatly impacted to have known these four beautiful people. To Zana and Ethan, they were the perfect pair together and had this unstoppable relationship. My people who changed my life in so many ways and made me so happy. I know it will be hard to not have the four of them in our lives, but I know Zana, Ethan, Maddie, and Kaylee would want us to live life and be happy, and they would want us to celebrate celebrate their lives. Dylan said Maddie, Zana, Kaylee, and Ethan were all one of a kind. And Bethany said, you were all gifts to this world in our own special way and it just won't be the same without you. She said that Maddie was the older sister she'd always wanted but never had. She said, you always told me that everything happens for a reason. And she also says, but I'm having a really hard time trying to understand the reason for this. I wish every day that I could give them all one last hug and say how much I love them. I thought a lot about what I could say to each of them if I could. And she described Kaylee as a sweet and giving person with a great sense of humor. She said that Zana and Ethan, who were in a relationship, made people believe in true love. And she described Zana as loving, fun, energetic, funny, passionate, and Ethan as the brightest, most fun personality. Bethany also noted that she looked up to Maddie who gave her the best advice and always offered to her to help. So there's so many questions that still remain. Why was Dylan and Bethany spared? Thankfully, but why? What was Brian's plan? What was his method to his madness? Was there a purpose for sparing them? A bigger statement 
in his eyes or was it just an oversight? Let me know below. And did Brian actually see Dylan? What other information, if any, can either of these girls provide as a witness testimony in the fight for justice for their friends? Time will tell with Brian Koberger's next court date slated for June 26th. He waived his right to a speedy trial. There's talk about the death penalty recently potentially on the table and also a bizarre method that is wanting to be brought forward instead of lethal injection. It's by a firing squad where people or multiple people would aim and shoot him and one of them being the real bullet. And they're saying that it's because it's not having access or potentially harder to get the chemical for lethal injection. So what do you think about that? I find this very strange. Let me know your thoughts below. If you'd like to see more videos on my case, I have some theory videos, some timeline videos. You can check it out right here or you can go in the description box below. This video is specially selected for a video that you just might be interested in. Please subscribe if you haven't done so. Please like, don't forget to share. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you in the next video.